Good morning and good coffee, everybody. Hey, it's time for some morning coffee with Larry, and I am glad that you are here joining with me today. I'm going to grab me a sip. And I have to tell you, it's been sitting there for uh, close to an hour. <laughs> so it's it's not quite cold any or hot anymore, but it's not quite cold. I guess it's still just right. Well, today is Monday, the 2nd of October. We are into a new month. It is 5.30 in the morning, and I am jo- and, uh, joined this morning by my lovely wife and our lovely indoor dog, Ginger, and uh, one of the indoor cats uh, is somewhere around here, little Bobby. <laughs> but um, hope that you are... Uh, starting uh, your day off well and that you are getting ready for this new week and this new month. And we are continuing and getting close to completing our review of the book, The Triumphant Marriage by Neil Clark Warren. 100 Extremely Successful Couples Reveal Their Secrets. And uh, as I flip to secret number nine... It is titled, Get Connected. Recognize the role of children and friends in making your marriage triumphant. And you know, when when you watch TV shows and you see couples that, you know, situation comedies or what have you, you will see where there's some couples that don't have kids and there's some couples that do have kids and you have some shows where there's no couples and they uh they're you know one is raising kids or if it's like the show Reba uh they're divorced but uh her husband and his new wife seem to be over at Reba's house all the time so you you see a lot of different things portrayed on TV but sometimes it it's they they make it seem like you know okay well the couples without kids they're the the ones that are having all the fun and the ones that have the kids that uh, they are facing all the challenges and while there's some truth to that there's that's that's kind of an oversimplification which i mean that's what television is about is oversimplification when I, when i worked in hospice I got to see a lot of people in the, I guess you could say, the final lap of their life. And, uh, you know, people of different ages, but I'm just thinking of those who had long, long term lives. And I had some people, you know, some couples that, for whatever reason, never had any children. And I saw others that had anywhere from one child to, there was one couple, um, they had 17 children. Now you hear about those in the old days if you're doing genealogy research. You don't typically hear that much, you know, in the current era, but they, they did. And you will see where you know, some the children are not really involved in the, the lives of their parents at all. And the one with the 17 children, 
if I'm remembering correctly, uh, there was maybe one, maybe two that lived more than 10 to 20 miles away from their homestead where they grew up. And I, I get to see a lot of different family situations and do a lot of life review. And, you know, for couples that didn't have any children, they, they often talked about, as we did life reviews, some of the amazing and interesting things they did in their life, whether it was career-wise or vacations. They had, they had a level of freedom that you don't necessarily have when you have children. Uh, I guarantee you the family that had the 17 kids, that was spread out over a good time frame. And unless they bought and converted a school bus into the family car, uh, they were limited on, you know, how far they traveled as an entire family. But one of the things that I did see is that uh, couples that never had any children when it came to the point where the physically ill one was struggling and needing more help, I saw a lot of the other spouses kind of developing a level of resentment because of the sacrifice they were needing to make. And I saw that several times. And it it made me scratch my head because with so many of the others where they had kids, when the one couple, member of the couple became more and more ill, the other one really seemed to grasp that idea that they had to compromise, or not compromise, they had to sacrifice. And that it was okay. And I started realizing, you know what, they've trained for this through raising other children. You don't raise children successfully and not make sacrifices. But if you're if you're just a single couple with no kids, I guess they, <laughs> back in the 90s they used to call uh, people like that dinks, D I N K, dual income no kids. <laughs> I forgot about that phrase. And uh you know, you, you don't have to do the same level of sacrifice, typically, unless there is some sort of circumstance requiring it. So, as we get into this, this chapter, getting connected, the role of children and friends in making your marriage triumphant, um, Neil, he's, he kind of starts in, in talking about the impact that children have on a couple and how some people, you know, they, their focus is on the struggle. Their focus is on the drain. Their focus is on the, uh, the hardships in raising children. And there definitely can be, there definitely can be life happens. Um, and he talks about what he calls two anecdotes uh, uh, here uh, that he focuses on antidotes. Um, both partners 
when you're having kids, both partners need to be enthusiastic about the child rearing process. You know, you're, you're, you're raising children that the two of you created. Okay, in some cases, you know, you, know, you, you have uh, blended families, but you're raising children to become adults. I always say, you're not raising kids, you're raising adults. It's just a long process, and elements of the process never ends. Um, that you continue in that role even though they're independent. It just changes some. But you have to have a level of enthusiasm because if one is enthusiastic and the other isn't, it's not going to go very well and you're going to have more distress. If uh, neither one is enthusiastic, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think there's sometimes you see a, a dumpster fire that can be going on. So there needs to be an enthusiasm. And the second uh, part that he has here is there must be a time for romance all along the way. When kids come, you cannot put the marriage on hold. You know, it's kind of like when the, when the kids come, you can't, the marriage can't hold its breath. Because if you hold your breath, eventually you don't have enough oxygen to live. And so with marriage, you have to have romance along the way. And it can be a challenge. It can definitely be a challenge. you got to find ways of doing that. Um, when, you, when you think, though, about parenting, um, it can be an incredible journey. One that does transform the marriage, matures the marriage, can strengthen the marriage. Um, and he points out some principles for being really effective parents together, not separate, but together. And so let me just touch base on these. Um, the first principle that Neil talks about is your child is a separate build up uh, building is a separate being. And if you have more than one child, you realize they're very different. They're not little clones of each other. Uh, they are different. They have a different, even though they have the same parents, they have a different genetic makeup on the different things regarding personality, interests, traits. They also come at different times. You know, there's been a lot of different books uh, written on birth order. And, uh, you know, while, while they're not exactly following those different observations, uh, there's a lot of, of truth to the fact that when, you know, you have a first child being born, they're an only child. And their experience is different from every other child born into that family because they got to be an only and then they had to adjust to being, you know, uh, having to share that. When you have the youngest child, especially if it's a larger family, they're already born into an established family where all kinds of things are going on and the parents kind of have hopefully things figured out. You know, if you drop the pacifier on the floor with the, the, the first child, uh, my gosh, you boil it, you sterilize it, you, you know, 
you worry about those things. When uh, it's the fifth child, you just pick it up and you don't even dust it off. You just pop the binky back in their mouth. You know, you, you, you learn these different things. But your child is different. They're going to be different from you. They're going to have traits with you. But they're different. And that's kind of a good starting place to think about. The principle, too, is you have been entrusted with the sacred task of helping your child become everything they are capable of becoming. I like that one. You have been entrusted with a sacred task. That is a powerful statement. You're not just bothered because you got a kid and you got to, you know, feed them or, you know, take them to school or those. You are really there to help them become everything that they are capable of becoming. Well, that isn't how my parents raised me. Well, I'm sorry. That That's too bad. That's That's not, you know, that wasn't the best thing. You know, not everybody has ideal parents. But for you... You have this sacred task, and this sacred task doesn't end. They grow up. They they get independent. They're able to do on them for themselves. That is part of that sacred task that you have of helping them become capable, you know, everything they are capable of being. But that continues onward. I remember so many times, you know, with different frustrations in life, talking with my parents asking for advice, asking for their wisdom, sometimes just needing to vent. Uh, They heard me vent about my jobs many times. Um, That was all a part of their sacred task. Principle three, vital to your child's development will be a consistent experience of being loved unconditionally. Unconditional love. That does not mean unconditional approval of all their decisions. That does not mean unconditional um, acceptance of everything they choose to do or believe. But it means unconditional love. That they never have to question whether or not their parent loves them. I remember having a counseling session many years ago with a pastor and he was he was you know pastors have their struggles too I've done a lot of counseling with pastors but this one pastor as a part of it wasn't the reason that he came in but as part of it the topic of unconditional love came up and he said I know what unconditional love is I know what it is supposed to be I have preached on unconditional love but he said I really have no concept of a personal experience of unconditional love. He did not grow up in a family where love was unconditionally available. It was always tied to something else which left him with a big void. He could talk about it. He could preach about it, but he didn't have that firsthand experience 
that allowed him to really apply it in his life. You know, we, we live in a modern society. We have utilities that we just, as long as we pay our bills, they're there. And, and probably the, the two biggest utilities that we can appreciate or and often underappreciate until something happens is uh, water at the tap and electricity. When you wake up in the morning, you go to the bathroom, you flush the toilet. There's a supply of water right there. You go to the sink to get a, a drink of water. You flip, you know, you turn it on and water comes out. You don't have to question, I wonder if there's going to be water today. I wonder, what do I need to do in order for there to be water here today? What do I need to, how do I need to earn the water? You don't. It's just there. Same way with electricity. You flip on a switch, it's there. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to question it. That's really kind of like what unconditional love is. That the love is always there. And not everybody has had that experience. A lot of people grew up with conditional love. When you do this right, when you do that right, then you will have love. Um, And I'm not necessarily going to fault all parents, especially if they didn't grow up with a a healthy, unconditional love experience. But if they recognize it, it's time to learn it. If you didn't have that and you've got kids, then you need to learn about that, work on that. Unconditional love. I mean, that's, that's what God has for us. I mean, when, when you think about God's saving grace for us, when you think about, I mean, did, did Jesus wait until everybody got things figured out and did things right before he died on the cross to save us? No. God had unconditional love for us before we were even in existence. It's unconditional. God's love for us. And so we need to practice unconditional love for our kids. Number four, every child needs carefully determined and consistently maintained limits. This is one of the big challenges in today's society. If you're raising younger kids right now, they have access to all kinds of stuff that you may never have had access to. Or if you're looking at your grandkids and you have concerns, and and part of it may be, you know, we never had access to these kinds of things. There were boundaries, there were limits on what we could, you know, you know, if you got, (laughs) if you screwed up and you got punished and you got grounded, uh, you know, you you would if you wanted to call up a friend on the phone you had to sneak out of your room and go to the one location in the house where the phone was and it had a limited cord attached to it and now that's not the case um you know when it comes to the different kinds of 
limits, uh, boundaries, rules, those kinds of things. Um, couples really need to be on the same page. And, you know, depending on differences in how, you know, the husband and the wife, the mother and the father were raised and what their experiences were, then, you know, that, that can uh, lead to challenges or conflicts, things they have to find common ground on. But then also it depends on the kid. Again, they're all different. And you may have to put down strong boundaries on some certain limits on some of the kids or one of the kids that you don't have to on others. It's because they're all different. Kids may say, well, that's, that's, you know, it's not consistent. It's not fair. Kids don't say it's not consistent, but they'll say it's not fair. And the fact of the matter is it doesn't have to be fair. You're looking at what is, what is best. And when kids don't have boundaries, don't have limits, they can, they can not always, because some kids have this internal structure that they're born with. And others don't. And the ones that don't, it, it can all, I mean, the term feral comes to mind. Some kids kind of grow up feral and they're just, you know, a wild donkey, uh, you know, that, uh, that struggles. And they need, you know, more uh, structure than others. Principle five, parents must decide how to discipline their children in the most effective way. Again, if you have more than one child, you know that one size doesn't fit all. And it can be a struggle point for, and I'm going to say it is a struggle point for all parents. Uh, you got to find a way to work through that, whether it's to get some help with counseling, whether it is to have uh, long conversations but for parents to be on the same page is, is so important. Number six, a child should be helped to dream a great dream for his or her life. How do you know where you're going? How do you know where you're going in life? How do you know? Some people just live day to day and they're just kind of stuck in the mundane rut. Others, they, they may be at one place, but they know where they're going. They have a vision, they have a dream for where they want their life to go. And I believe, and, and Neil talks about it here, I believe that a big role of parents is to help their child dream of what their potential of their life could be. Help them cast a vision. Don't just give them a dream and then stop. Teach them how to manage their own dream. What do they want their life to be? And how do they want their life to be? It's not just having a bucket list of places to go see. It is you know, with their character development, with the things that are truly important, with their relationship with God, with, you know, the, their potential, you know, their, their future spouses. You know, you, they, they may be just a child, 
but the idea of what's going to help them uh, get a good vision or dream of, of married life. So a child should be helped to dream a great dream for his or her life. And then the last principle, number seven, assisting a child to develop character and adopt values is crucial. Character development is crucial. And what what is character? You could probably break it down into a set of values, a set of truths, a set of principles that are present in people who are successful, in people who are good, in people who are admirable. What values do you display in your life? What values have you inherited from your parents, from your family? What are the different things that are important? You know, I've talked many times on podcast. I have referenced the Boy Scout Law. It's a set of 12 value principles that the scouting movement was built upon. Everything in the scouting movement goes back to one of these 12 principles. Trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, reverent. What are the values that you have in your family? Have you ever thought about that? What are the values you have in your marriage? Are they consistent with the Boy Scout values? I mean, it doesn't mean that y'all have to wear Scout uniforms everywhere you go. Although I think there was a time for us in our marriage where (laughs) it felt like we were wearing Scout uniforms at all times. (laughs) But... Do you, are there specific values, character traits that you want to make sure you get down into your kids? There should be. There should be. And how do you teach values and character traits? Do you send them to a special class? Do you send them to a counselor, police? No. You demonstrate those same traits. The traits that you have in your life and in your marriage that are good quality traits, that are noble traits, you display those to your children in a way where they can imitate them. You you display them in a way and discuss them in a way that they understand why they are important. When you when they have the when your children in going through life have the opportunity to see when bad things happen to people because they did not follow those traits, that you are there to help them see, hey, this is what happens on the other side when you don't do those things. You don't hide the consequences of a failed character or of a mismanaged character. You don't hide that from them to protect them. You help them understand, this is why, you know, in our family, we... Do it this way because here's the consequence. You know, there was a, um, there's a tradition in uh, uh, 
uh, with Jewish families. I'm not sure how much of a tradition it is today, but I know it at a time that it was a, it was a strong tradition that they had where when a, a, a boy uh, reached the age of you know adulthood, when they had their bar mitzvah, uh, they're still a kid, but you know when they've reached that point, the father would then take the child to, in essence, the bad parts of town and explain to them, this is why we've raised you this way, because this is the consequences when you don't follow, you know, certain traits, values, you know, and develop a good quality character. You have these kinds of problems. You, people will face these kinds of unpleasantries. And uh, I think that's a good thing to teach. It also, when you're teaching character and you're thinking about character traits more and more, guess what? In values, you start following those values and those character traits better yourself. I have I said for years in my private practice, the more marriage counseling I did, the the better I felt like my marriage was going because I was focusing on teaching my clients about, you know, good traits in marriage. And I found myself being aware of them, thinking about them more, practicing them more myself. And so when you're raising children, the same thing applies. Well, that is it for secret number nine. And we are out of time for today. So I will cut you loose. You have a great one. And we will catch you next time for another cup of coffee. Take care. Bye-bye.